0: Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for that. Our church rejoices. Our church is built up. We are blessed, Father, for songs that are about you. There's a lot of songs and a lot of words in songs, and at the end of the day, Father, hallelujah is just enough. Praise the Lord. Father, we ask that today, what would be happening in this place, at this place, in our hearts, through us, around here, every way we can describe it, Father, that You would be praised. Thank You for Sundays, God. We are thankful for them. As we come now to the preaching of the Word, God, convince us of this, as only You can do. Give us life through Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We are normally in 1 Peter, but we're going to take a break from 1 Peter today since it is Easter Sunday. 1 John chapter 2. If you're using a pew Bible, or if you didn't bring a Bible today, you can use one of those black Bibles there in front of you. Use the pew Bible. I believe it's... I don't know the page number. It's towards the back. Sorry. 1 John is just a few pages before Revelation. In my Bible, it's just two turns. So if you can find Revelation, the last look of the last book of the Bible, just go that way a little bit and you'll find it. 1 John chapter 2. Easter Sunday is such a special day. It's, it's been a busy week. We had a good Friday service here, Friday night, that was, was very encouraging. And then we had uh, the Easter egg hunt last weekend, which uh, we were... We were uh, hesitant to do it the week before, but we know that everybody's Easter weekend is so busy. So we did it the week before, and now in hindsight, since we had uh, record rains and floods, it was great. I would imagine that Easter egg hunts yesterday were pretty muddy, and so we were glad that we did ours a week ago. Then we had the Friday night service, and then this morning, like we do every year, we have a, a sunrise service at 7 a.m. out front of our church uh, that was very encouraging too. It was great to be here. So, so there's a lot going on, and Easter is very special. My, my heart is full, and I'm glad to be here. But i got to admit that for as happy as I am to be here, my, my emotions are about run out. The Final Four and, and Easter being the same weekend is too much. That's too much. Nine o'clock start for a UK game... When I've got a seven a.m. sunrise service, is too much. I was up this morning at five, getting ready to be here, and I was watching UK press conferences at midnight last night. You couple that with our church flooded just yesterday. Uh, many people in the churches' basements are flooded. Uh, roads are closed. It has been a stressful few days, right? Not to mention that my wife is due any day with our fifth child, so that's bearing on us. My emotions are, are running wild right now, but I'm glad to be here, and I appreciate so much that you are ready to be here and glad to be here. Honestly, there's nowhere else I'd rather be on Sunday morning at, at 1045 than, than here at this very place with you all to worship God. When I preach on Easter, I'm always thinking, you know, what I want the people to hear? And as soon as I start thinking about that, I'm quickly reminded that you don't need anything special. I'm not here today to tell you all anything new. I want to preach the same thing to you all that I hope I preach every week. That God loves you, and that you can know Him, and that He'll forgive you of all your sins. So that's what I'm going to preach to you today. And I think a lot of the time what happens is, I, we, the world forgets that that's what our message is. So today I hope to remind you again afresh what God's message really is. Because as you know, it's often misconstrued. And you may have come here today very skeptical about becoming a Christian. You may have come here today knowing that you used to be committed to Christ, but not so much now. You may have come here today very much so committed, but, but discouraged. And I hope that today the Word of God would remind you afresh what God is really like, what His message to us truly is, and that upon that your soul would be awakened. You would be alive to God. When you do wrong, no offense, but I'm assuming you do. When you do wrong, how do you, how do you coach yourself? And what coaching is there? What advice is there that you might tell yourself that helps? Is there any? I don't mean wrong like something small. I mean when you have truly done something wrong. You've been bad. You've disobeyed. What do you tell yourself? Or, if you have children, and they do wrong, what do you tell them? What do you tell a child who has willfully done wrong? Cheated on a test at school and been caught for it? What do you tell a child who has done something wrong? What's the answer? Is it Don't worry about it? Is it It's not that big of a deal? Is it Everybody does it at least once or twice in their life? What what is it? What is it that we tell ourselves or to help us see it a little bit better what is it we tell our our children? It's hard to find an answer when when I'm throwing out answers that sound like, wow, that's a really good one. Because so many of what we what we try to say is coaching or life advice, so many of those are, are just lacking, they fall short. Surely that's not the answer. I want us to see today from 1 John chapter 2. The very heart of God, the message of the Word of God, and indeed the answer. The answer to this. Look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John is a letter written by John. Many of you know that John has a Gospel too. The first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those four Gospels are four different people giving account of the life of Jesus. That's what the Gospels are. Matthew will tell you from the birth of Jesus to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Mark will take you from the beginning of Jesus' ministry to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Luke will take you from the birth of Jesus all the way to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. John will take you from the beginning of Jesus' ministry plus he adds a prologue uh, 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 about who Jesus is, Jesus being God, all the way to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are wanting to tell you the story of Jesus. If you want to know about somebody, you read their biography. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in many ways, are biographies on the Lord Jesus Christ. John, the New Testament teaches us, is the one disciple whom Jesus loved so closely. Jesus had a a special connection to him. Now, Jesus had a special connection to three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. They were an inner circle, an inner three of the twelve. Many times you see not the twelve, but just, just the three with Jesus. John was one of those. He wrote a gospel. But later in the New Testament, here towards the end, where I was trying to tell you where it was earlier, right before the book of Revelation, you have three little letters, really small. 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. John being an apostle. John being a leader in the the early church. John wrote letters to Christians. This is what we have here. 2 John is really short. Maybe the shortest book of the New Testament. 3 John is really short. 1 John, a couple pages, five chapters. And John is teaching us some things. You don't have to turn there. But at chapter 5, verse 13 of this book, 1 John, he tells us why he even wrote this book. That will help you. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's writing to people who believe. He's writing to people who think that they are believers in Jesus Christ. They believe in the name of the Son of God. It means they believe in His character, who He is, what He's done. And, and, and He's writing to them so that in their belief, they would know they have eternal life. They would know they have heaven. The Bible wants us to know that there is assurance of salvation. You can know that you're going to heaven. You can know that you're right with God. You can know that your sins are forgiven. You can know that you're a child of God. That is what John is saying is the reason why he's writing 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. So we take everything he's writing and we read it and understand it in light of that. He's writing this at chapter 2, verse 1, so that we, you and I who believe, would know that we are on our way to heaven that we would know that we have eternal life. Read with me, if you will, at chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The second sentence in verse 1 says, but if anyone does sin, is that not appropriate for you and me? Is that not appropriate for our parenting? Is that not appropriate for the question I proposed earlier with with, what do you do when you do wrong? Here is the answer. But if anyone does sin... You might not have sinned this morning on your way here. I don't know how mornings are at your household... But I'm sure that you have sinned at some point in your life. And the Bible teaches to be guilty of one sin is to be guilty of all of them. To have sinned against God is to to have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in the same position, every one of us, whether we agree or don't agree, whether we like it or whether we don't like it, whether we think so or whether we don't think so. Everybody in the room, everybody on the planet is in the same position that we have sinned against God. That's what it means to be a human. To err is human. To be a human is to be a child of Adam, the first man. And if anyone does sin, that's the position we're in, what do we do about it? What's the answer? What's the coaching? What do we say? And that's what verse 1 and verse 2 is about. So that's what we're going to see. Let's begin here. My, My little children. I love the way he writes this. Children, because they must be somewhat younger than him, or they became believers after him. Maybe they're older in life and in age, but they're younger in spiritual maturity. John, being an apostle, writing to these people who became believers maybe after he has become a believer. Children, writing to them because they are dear. They're younger, but yet they are dear to him. They matter to him. My little children, he says. He has a connection with them. He has a relationship with them. He has a, a, a relationship with them in which He wants to help them understand how they can have eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. My little children, because He wants them to understand they should listen to Him, and He knows that they do understand when this guy speaks to me, when this guy writes a letter to me, He really wants to help me. He has my best interest in mind. This man cares for me. This man loves me. So even though He's telling me that I'm a sinner and what to do about it, he want, He's doing it for my good. I hope that you know, if you're a coach or a parent or any type of an adult, that sometimes hard conversations are necessary if you're actually going to help somebody. Sometimes telling somebody what they're wrong at or what they need help at or what they need to get better at or what they need to change are good conversations. I hope you know that. And he's writing to them and he says, My little children. And and what this shows us is this, this apostle This man, who the Gospel of John says is the one disciple whom Jesus loved. This man had a close relationship with Jesus. This man, this man, John, is the one that Jesus was so very close to. And he's writing to these people and says, My little children, because he wants them to know God. Folks, at the heart of all ministry, at the heart of all things church, at the heart of all things Christian, should be that heart. I want you to know God. And so he's not standing on a corner with a sign saying, You're going to hell. Look at you wearing those little short booty shorts. You're going to hell with those. He's not doing that. He's got got love in His voice. He's got affection in His pen. My little children. This week we we had a situation in our house where our kids acted up. And if our kids disobey, that means they have to get a spanking or in our house a whooping. So I took, took each boy into the bathroom one at a time. I used what I used to give them a spanking. Those aren't fun. And I, I almost wanted to cry because I hate seeing them so upset. They knew they had done wrong. I talked to them about how me and Val loved them so much. I hugged them. I got them to quit crying. I told them that they're they're my heroes. But I gave them a spanking. They ain't mad at me. They didn't turn around and fight back. They understood that their dad loves them. When somebody loves you, they can tell you what you need to hear. I've had many college students tell me at, you know... These these big college campuses, the street preachers love to come. And they'll just stand there yelling out these, these Christian phrases or whatever, not wanting to actually sit and talk to anybody about what the message of God is. They just want to yell out horrible things. So far from what God's really like. I'm glad that you're here today for no other reason than you might hear what God is actually like. God speaks to sinful people like this. My little children. How you say what you say means about as much as what you say. And when you start talking about things that are heavy, it means a lot. What John's about to say to these people is not, I'm right, y'all are wrong, you need to listen. Well, you keep on believing that and you go right on to hell. John's not concerned about being bigger or badder or better. John's not concerned here about being the one who's not embarrassed or not ashamed or made to look like a fool. He doesn't care. He wants them to know God. He wants them to end up in heaven. He understands that hell and suffering and judgment are very real. And you don't let people go there. You don't! If you really know what it is, you don't let people go there. And every one of us will go there if we don't ever listen to what God says. So somebody needs to say, my little children. Somebody needs to build a relationship somewhere to where that person will say, he he wants me to know something serious. There's a pizza place that I eat at from time to time. It's on the other side of town. And when I'm over there or near there, I'll go eat there. And have been eating there for probably seven or eight years now. And I've gotten to know the owner pretty good. He loves to talk about sports. So we'll talk about sports all the time. We don't have many of the same opinions. But I like going in there and eating and talking to him. The other day, I'd already paid, and I was getting a refill on my drink. I was about to walk out the door, and he goes... Josh, what's up with all you Christians being nothing but haters? I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, man, that's all I hear is that y'all, y'all Christians just hate on everything. You're against everything. I said, I hadn't heard about it. What are you talking about? He said, do you watch the news or see anything that's going on? I said, I mean, yeah, I hear a little bit, but that's, that's not everybody. And he said, man, it just seems like all y'all do is hate against everything. I said, well, I'm a Christian and I'm even a preacher. I'm a pastor of a church, and you've never gotten nothing but love for me. I'm a, you're my good friend. Actually, you've never heard me hate on anything. He said, Yeah. I said, not everybody's like that. I said, I can assure you this: Jesus was not like that. And so if people are not like that, or if people are like that, then maybe they don't know Jesus, is what I said to him. He said, yeah, well, the way I see it is, we're all going to die and stand before our Maker anyway, and we'll figure it out then. Folks, that's a bad way to see it. God tells us that if that's the way you see it, you're going to see it too late. thought to myself, how embarrassed I am. How shameful this is to God. God writes, my little children. Somebody somewhere along the way, or, or m- many of us along the way, have showed us that we're only haters. Has anybody ever said to him, my little children? Does he have any neighbors or family people? Do you guys know the man I'm talking about? Has anybody ever wanted to say what 1 John chapter 2 is about? Because he hasn't heard it. He doesn't know it. He doesn't know what God is like toward sinful people. And it breaks my heart. Folks, God is nothing but good. Nothing but good. He can't be any other way. He is so incredibly gracious. Gracious. To sinful people. He is nicer to them than they are to him or any of us are to them. Read about him, if you will, and be amazed at the way he treats them. They asked him to fight back, they asked him as they were plucking out his beard. Have have y'all ever had a beard hair get stuck? Or pulled? And they would ask him, provoke him, fight back, do something as they spit in his face. Has anybody ever spit in your face? As they smushed a crown of thorns on his head so much so that it was inside of his skin and blood was running down. As they were doing that to him, they were provoking him. Won't you do something about it then if you're so big and bad? If you really are God, won't you prove it? He didn't. There was a time where His people tried to, pulled out the sword and said, let's go. Y'all want to try to fight and take our man? We'll fight y'all right here. Jesus stopped them right quick. We're not going to deal with people the way they deal with us. We aren't, but God is indeed truly, matter of factly, too good for that. My little children is the way we ought to approach people in love, sincerity, with the heaviness of heart. This is not about being right or wrong. This is about life or death, heaven or hell, eternity. This is about peace in the depth of your soul in your inner being. This is about a rightness with God, a connection with Him. Any other way thinking that you're better, holier than thou, being judgmental is not, is not, is not the way of God. And by the grace of God, may, Lord, may the Lord make First Baptist Faraday that way. And may every person, every that lives in or around this community know and feel and experience what our true God is like when He deals with people. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Folks, That that's the message of life, whether you're Christian or not. That's the way you've raised your kids, whether you've ever talked to them about God or not. Don't do wrong. Don't do bad. That is life 101. It don't matter where you live, what country you're from, no matter what your beliefs are, no matter what you're trying to do, you're trying to t- teach people to not do wrong. Do the right thing. God isn't going too way off the beaten path there and saying that's what His standard is. I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. That's the message. God is holy. We're not supposed to do wrong. We're not supposed to sin. Are there laws from God? Yes, there are. Ten Commandments? Absolutely. You shall not worship any other gods. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not be a liar. These are some of the laws that God has. And He has lots of them. We're not supposed to be breaking those. If the speed limit's 65 on the Gene Snyder, you better be going 65 on the Gene Snyder. You better learn that. not supposed to do the wrong thing. That's what life's about. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And I want to remind you, we understand this. We're not confused on this. Christians are, and I'm sorry if some have taught you the wrong thing, Christians are to be those people who do not like sin. We hate sin. We don't want to be sinning. We try to figure out what our sins are. We examine our hearts like the Bible tells us to. We guard against sin. We are careful. We are cautious. We walk carefully. That's what real Christians are. And if you're here today and you know some Christians who are so not that, their lives are full of sin, they minimize sin, they act like it's not a big deal, they're indifferent to sin, then I speak on behalf of God, and I speak on behalf of the Word of God, that is wrong. The Bible says right here, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. Why is he writing these things to us? 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, so that you may know that you have heaven in the future, so that you may know that you have eternal life right now. And if you want heaven, if you have eternal life, if you are a child of God, you know God, you have an attitude, position, stance against sin. You don't like sin. You don't like it in your life. And the first place that we don't like it is not in your life. That's judgmental stuff that we're trying to get way over. The first place I don't like it is mine. And I don't even know if any of y'all have sinned this week, but I know a lot about my sins and they bother me. And I don't like them. And I read the Bible, and I hear God say, "Don't do it." And so, part of me is trying to not do it, and part of me is looking for an answer because I have done it. And when I'm looking for an answer to how I deal with my sins, I'm encouraged. I want to hear a little bit more because He approaches me with my little children. I didn't open up the. I didn't. I didn't see see myself sinning, and think, "Oh no, what do I do? What's the answer? How am I going to be coached during this?" And I go to the Bible and it says, you judgmental jerk punk of a dad. That's not the way God is toward people. I feel myself, I see myself sinful towards my kids, towards my wife, toward our church, in the community, towards my pizza guy. And I come to the Bible saying, God, I need forgiveness. And I hear, my child. I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. I said, I didn't want to sin, God. But we do. Nobody, Nobody will stop sinning until we're there in heaven. We're still sinning. Hopefully less, but we're still sinning. But The message is of God, in love and understanding, I'm writing this to you that you may not sin. Now, The reason why John is writing this is because he's already said something about it. Look over to chapter 1, verse 8. Again, we have a position on sin. Look what he says. Chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, if you don't think you sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If you think you don't sin, then you don't know God. He tells us that we sin. Verse 9, look, here's the message of God again. If you want to hang up a sign on a college campus, hang this one up. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'd be so encouraged if I was walking to class and I saw that. Wouldn't you? Hey, just want you to know, God is so outstanding, so good and gracious in the way He treats us. He's faithful and just to forgive you of all those sins. Wouldn't that be incredible? That's what God is saying. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And His Word is not in us. Now, what is so good about that message from John is that he's not talking about the sins that you and I can identify. He's talking about all sins. And so maybe you're really good at not lying. Maybe you've got one of those moms like my mom that had me eating a bar of dial soap when I was like five years old. And you're not going to talk that way. And mom, without the help of God, trained me really, well, I mean with the help of God, but you know what I mean. It wasn't God necessarily so much that was teaching me to, how to talk, but my mom, God through my mom. Y'all know what I'm saying. I'm not trying to say anything awful about God there. But it was my mom is what I'm saying. So maybe for you, the way you talk isn't, isn't it. But what John is getting at is that we are sinful people. And all of us, different sins. Some of them we hide. Some of them, some of you have yet to admit. Some of y'all are still thinking that's not a problem in my life, and it is. You're denying it. But what he's saying is that if you're doing that, you're making God a liar, and making God a liar means that His word is not in you. The very next verse is our verse today, chapter two, verse one. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. So the message is not to sin. Why? What we preached on Friday, Good Friday. What killed Jesus? Our sins. Sins are what killed Jesus. God would not have died on the cross. He would have hung there forever. He died because of our sins. God put the sins of the world on Him, and that's what killed Him. So, if you are a believer in God, in Jesus, then why would you want to do the thing that kills Him? That's God's message. When you come to believe that God is great and His Son is your Savior, your attitude towards sin changes because that's what killed Him. We don't deny our sins because then He doesn't need to die. We don't say that we don't sin because why did He have to die? He died because of our sins. We admit our sins, confess our sins, acknowledge our sins, and once we believe, then we start realizing, well, I should quit sinning. It's wrong. And my little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But then a new sentence starts. And says, but if anyone does sin. And this is the part of the message that I want you to hear that God is saying. God knows that we do sin. A message that says, you and your sins are wrong and going to hell, and that's all the message that you're hearing, has forgotten that God says more. But if anyone does sin, to which every one of us go, that's me. God's opened the door for hope in our sin. Can I say that again? God has opened the door for hope for you and me in our sin. We ought to never be a church that finds somebody in their sin and beats them down. If you're talking to somebody about Christianity and anger is coming out, stop! My little children, I write these things. You may not sin, but if you do... I love it, Matthew Henry says this. He says, certainly the gospel most prevailed where and when such ministerial love most abounded. Isn't that the truth? Let me say it again. Certainly the gospel most prevailed. In other words, the good news of Jesus is most effective, doing the most things, changing the most people, when and where ministerial love like this most abounded. In other words, you show me a group of people clinging to the Word of God, yet loving people, and you'll see lives being changed. Half the churches in America are dying with a bunch of old people. Why? Because they look down upon young people. The other half of churches in America are seeing young people booming. They can't keep them away. Bible, Bible, Bible. Give me more Bible, more God, more truth. Give it to me, give it to me. And they want it, they want it, and want it. Why? Because they're feeling loved and supported and encouraged and built up. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin. Do you? Of course you do. Don't let a church or, or a street preacher or, or anybody else get you so moved this way that you start saying you don't sin. That's crazy. Don't get so worked up and upset that you're trying to say that you don't sin. That's wrong. If everybody in the world starts making you think that, you, that, that Christianity is horrible and awful, then forget about Christianity and go back to the source. And let God speak. And hear Him say, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin. So we hear this and we say, Okay, I don't want to sin, but I still do. And God says, I know you still do, so I'm going to speak to that too. And here's what He says. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. You know what an advocate is? It's like an attorney. If somebody goes and talks to somebody on your behalf, it's outstanding. What John is telling these Christians here is that. They're not supposed to sin because Jesus died for their sins, but we do still sin. And if you do, when you do, remember that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Son of God, the one born of the Virgin Mary, is our advocate with God. I want to show you why He is our advocate. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. That's the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 27. We're going to look at verse 45. The word advocate means one who speaks to somebody in our defense. One who speaks to one in our defense. The Bible says that there is somebody who speaks to God Almighty, our Father in heaven, in our defense. So we have us down here saying, if we sin, we go, Yes, we do sin. I, I did sin. And you have God the Father sitting in the heavens on His judgment throne seat where He is rightly. Nothing wrong with saying that God's the judge of all creation. That's okay. Don't let people get y'all thinking the wrong things about the right things. So many of y'all used to believe the right things and now you're starting to wonder if it's the right things because somebody that's a fool represented the right things wrongly. Don't let that happen. Dismiss the fools. Don't dismiss the truth. And there are a lot of fools. There's a lot of Christian fools. Get them out of your life. Be done with them. Stop listening to them. Let them keep being fools. But listen to the truth, what God says. So we're down here in our sins. God is there on His throne. Praise God, He is. And He looks at our sins and He thinks, That's bad. I told you not to do that. But his son, who is the advocate, is standing right there pleading our case to him. Let me show you why he listens. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That's about noon to 3 p.m. And in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Folks, on the cross, God in His awesome holiness turned away from His Son, forsake his, forsook His Son, turned His back on His Son, abandoned His Son, punished His Son, crushed His Son, killed His Son, Jesus. Why? Because He loves us. Verse 47, And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. Jump over to verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people. He has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first." Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the, Mary, and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men... But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now listen to verse 6. He is not here, for He has risen as He said. Come, see the place where He lay. Y'all, Jesus Christ is God. And He was crucified for our sins. And three days later, glory to God, He was back. He was alive and the tomb was empty. That is the truth of the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the one who died for our sins and has risen in newness of life. Jesus says in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. Any one of you who are scared of the coming death or who know that you're going to die because of your sins can have life in God forever because of Jesus. Now turn it back to 1 John. Here, John doesn't call Him the risen one. John doesn't call Him the Savior. John doesn't even call Him Lord. He doesn't call Him the one who lives. He calls Him an advocate. Jesus has many names. Here, He's an advocate. Why? Why? Because in our sins, after John says if anyone does sin, John says if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Which means Jesus is right in all that He does. He's never done wrong. Everything He does is right. He's completely right, completely holy, completely perfect. He never has sinned. And He's standing right beside the God Almighty, Judge of heaven and earth, right there. And God sees our sins, and yet Jesus is there. As the ultimate, consummate, perfect defense attorney. And every time God sees our sin, Jesus shows him the blood. I died for them. I died for them. I died for them. I get mad at my kids. I died for them. I get mad at the person that cuts me off in this traffic mess we have right here in Fairdale. I died for them. I get frustrated at my shortcomings. I died for Him. My attitude, my anger, my foul mouth, my sinful heart, my lusts, my imperfections, my pride, my arrogance, and so forth and so forth. God has a stance towards sin, but He also has a Son who is an advocate. And He stands there telling the Father. Y'all listen, the judge is the judge. Don't deny that. But the judge has a son. He's our attorney. He's our advocate. Some of y'all might have a good attorney. You're not worried about doing anything wrong because he's going to get you out of it. That happens. I knew this guy once. He went to a really rich private school, and his dad was an attorney knew this kid. He lived way over that way. And he walked around with this attitude of, no matter, I can do anything. And he was always doing the wrong thing, getting in trouble, rebellious, bad kid, and he would just say, Shh, my dad's an attorney. He can get me out of anything. I've known some people who have friends that are cops, and so they're okay with speeding. Because if they happen to get pulled over and get a ticket, guess what? They're just going to call up their cop buddy and get the ticket taken care of. Now, we're not to have the attitude that sin's okay. We certainly see that that's not. But we are to have the attitude that sin alone is not the worst thing in the world. If you don't have an advocate, you better despair over your sins. You have no hope. Your sins are awful. But the Bible says plainly, my little children, There is an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. You have a defense attorney. He's standing right there with God. God, you can't judge Him. God, you can't punish Him. I died on the cross for Him. God is the judge. His Son is the advocate. Do you know that? Do you believe that? We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Look back at 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Folks, you being a sinner is not the worst thing about you. It's bad. We're not going to deny that. It's not the worst thing. You being a sinner and not being willing to admit that and not being willing to go to the one who gives gracious forgiveness, not being willing to accept an advocate on your behalf is the worst thing. The Bible says, and it breaks our hearts, that there will be those who go to God on His throne, and God will say to them, I never knew you. Because the only way we know God is through His Son, our Advocate. But if you want to know God, you want Him to call you your little child, you know you sin and you don't want to, but you do sometimes, believe in the Advocate. Believe in the one that Easter Sunday is all about. Run to him and say, Please be my advocate. Please talk to God for me. Knowing he loves to say, He's mine, I died for him. She's mine, died for him. You don't see her sins, Father, they're washed away. You don't see His sins. They've been washed away. And every single person that has the advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the grave, God is gracious to them. That's the message. That's the comfort. God is a good God that forgives people of their sins through His Son. The next time you sin or your children sin. Don't say it's okay. Don't say it's alright. Don't, 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 don't say that. Be reminded that God will forgive you of your sins. Because Jesus died, rose, and now stands before the Father. May every one of us know Him in a very real way. May we know the source of what Christianity is really like. And may God, at work in our lives, power through us, give us the grace to go out into the world and really represent that. Because God is worthy of it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank You for the message of Jesus and the message of Easter. Thank You, God, for our Advocate to think that I've got somebody standing in my defense before God Almighty is so comforting and sure, assuring and upbuilding. Oh God, build us up today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.